It's Wednesday, it's Hope Day, and it's another edition of the Strictly Stripes Podcast. Welcome in, folks. Muhammad Ahmad here with you, joined by Andrew Gillis. Mike Nislik has the night off, but we'll be hearing from him tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. We also might have a special guest. I don't want to tease that quite yet. But in the meantime, I've been saying this, and I'm going to keep saying this. Make sure you sign up for Cincinnati Football Insider. Cincinnati Football Insider, people. You will get podcasts, yes, podcasts, photos, updates, subscriber-exclusive content on the Bengals, which includes information you'll get before anybody, before even the Twitter sphere and beyond. And that is infinitely beyond, unless you come to the dark side. Cincinnati Football Insider. To subscribe, you go to cleveland.com slash Bengals. Click at the banner at the top of the page. It's a blue banner you'll see. It's a free 14-day trial and at the end of the trial you'll be charged $4.99 a month but again you don't get charged until the end of the month so if you don't like us you're lost but if you love us great then you can just go after 14 days so make sure you sign up again cleveland.com slash bangles at the top of the page and so Andrew <laughs> we were talking a lot I think literally we talked about it Monday but I want to go back to Friday where we were like man this is uh, last Friday, at least. This is as clean of an injury sheet as you will get if you're the Cincinnati Bengals. Not the case after the game and not the case today. Here's who did not participate in practice uh, on Wednesday. DJ Reader, Lyle Collins, they both rested, so no worries there. Uh, that's just a veteran's rest day. Jalen Davis didn't practice with a thumb injury. Mike Hilton didn't practice with a knee injury. Hayden Hurst, as we know, did not practice with a calf injury. Trey Hendrickson, of course, did not practice with a wrist injury. Now, here's where things also get really interesting. Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, both limited. Higgins with the hamstring, Boyd with the finger on his right hand. Dax Hill, limited with a hamstring. Joseph Osai, we talked about that. He did practice, but he was limited. That was because of his shoulder. Trent Taylor, the backup slot receiver, has a hamstring injury. He was limited, and this, I think, was the most interesting thing. I mean, it's not a big deal, but obviously it'll catch anyone's attention. Full participation in practice, Joe Burrow, right elbow. So he practiced completely, but that's in light of a right elbow injury. I would not be anywhere near worried about that. I think that's just a formality, but man, I mean – we saw what happened to Mike Hilton against the Browns. He had to go off for a couple snaps after he went down. It looked like it was his knee. Uh, I think it was his left knee specifically. And so he went into the blue tent, came back and played the game. Jalen Davis, he came in for him. So whenever he came in on that drive early in the game, like basically around the top of the fourth quarter, he must have hurt himself along the way. And we just didn't know until now. And, I mean, we know about Boyd. We know about Higgins. But Trent Taylor? I don't know how serious that is. I don't know if maybe they're just – you know, kind of resting him with some soreness, or if there's something more significant than that. Uh, we didn't see him in the – I don't know if you did. I didn't see him in the locker Wednesday. But, man, you, there's a chance you might not have Boyd and Higgins. You're almost guaranteed not to have Hendrickson. If you don't have Hilton or Davis and maybe, maybe Trent Taylor on top of not having Higgins and Boyd, I mean, it, how crazy is that? Like, to go from what we had last week to this – pretty mind-boggling maybe not mind-boggling it's it's late in the year but it's crazy either way yeah i mean wednesday is the day typically where um you know you 
obviously like we're talking about now you get the big idea thursday is the day where it really i think starts to matter um you know obviously there were there were six guys who did not practice leo collins and dj reader were rest so they'll you know they'll be fine they'll be back um i'm curious what happens with jalen davis and mike uh mike hilton i you know i talked to mike after the game i mentioned this on a previous pod where you know he said that you know, when he first kind of went down, he thought it was worst case scenario. Then he thought it was nothing more than a than a bone bruise in his knee. So, you know, it could just be one of those things where he's a veteran player. You're, you know, 14 weeks into this. You've been playing football for, you know, for however long since late July. It's okay if you, if you need to rest that guy for, for a couple of days. So, you know, I, the Jalen Davis thing is interesting. Um, especially because it's a little bit different when you have, you know, your two slot corners, both as the DNPs on Wednesday. So those two guys, I think their status is going to be worth monitoring on Thursday. Uh, you know, you mentioned Trey Hendrickson. I would be really, really surprised if Trey Hendrickson plays this week. Same here. Uh, there was the report that, you know, he broke his wrist. That That's just not something you can go back from. Hayden Hurst, same thing. Uh, Zach Taylor actually went as far to call him doubtful. So, to me, it's this isn't so much of a. I think the inter- the interesting thing about this injury report is not that there are so many more names than you know we've been used to seeing or that we saw last week. It's that kind of the positions that they're affecting. Um, you know, you look at the the receiver, like the skill position guys on offense. Tyler Boyd and T Higgins, they're both limited. Who knows? Um, like I said, we should get a better idea. Like if you get a full participation in from any of those guys on Thursday or Friday, you're going to feel pretty good. Um, but those guys right now, who knows? Trent Taylor got added to that. If you get three receivers who are who are limited, then Hayden Hurst is a is a did not participate. Then you go to the secondary. You get Dax Hill questionable with a hamstring. I know he typically doesn't play a lot of snaps, um, but you lose a depth guy right there. Then you've got two corners that are, uh, you know, that did not participate in practice. So, you know, to me, this is an issue of you're looking at the receivers and the DBs right now going, okay, you know, what are they going to be both quality and quantity on, uh, on Sunday? Yeah, and that's the thing is like Hilton and Davis both play the slot. So at that point, you're left with Trey Flowers. And even then, you need depth behind Trey Flowers. And so with Dax Hill... I know when the injuries piled up with uh, Chidobia Wouzier and, you know, Eli Apple missed that Browns game and all of that. I mean, yeah, he missed that. And you you, you had Dax Hill playing some snaps um, against the Panthers a week later uh, at that slot position at cornerback, which he's not normally accustomed to. So, like, if you don't even have him, then you're getting into practice squad territory for the secondary. Uh, for Hayden Hurst, there's really no reason to even tap into the practice squad because you have Mitchell Wilcox, you have Devin Asiasi, who both played most of the snaps on Sunday against the Browns. It wouldn't really make sense to call up Nick Bowers because you have Hakeem Adeniji, uh, who's a swing tackle, who pretty much plays most of the blocking. He actually played a, a good handful of snaps on Sunday and really most of the year when they need an extra blocker. So there's no point wasting a call up on him when you have a who's going to play as much snaps as maybe Bowers would uh, with wide receiver. Yeah. At that point, like if it's Tyler Boyd, the default is Trenton Irwin 
and Trent Taylor, but then if for whatever reason Trent Taylor doesn't even play or he's limited, then you have to call up – not call up, I'm sorry, because he's on the active roster, but you got to rely on Stanley Morgan. Maybe you call up Kwame Lasseter, who was called up uh, – I think it was against either Pittsburgh or Tennessee, but he was called up once this year. So you're getting into some really, really thin and dangerous territory at that point. So with all that said – you know, I think maybe people might look at that and say, oh, man, this is crazy. But I also don't think it should overshadow the real exciting matchup on Sunday, and that is Burrow versus Brady, Brady versus Burrow, however you want to put it. I mean, let's let's just set the stage here real quick, Andrew. Uh, how old are you? You're 26, right? Yep, 26. Joe Burrow just turned 26 this past weekend on December 10th. So if we do the math, if my math is right, he was about three and a half when Tom Brady was drafted into the NFL. Three and a half years old. So when he won his first Super Bowl, he was barely five. So I'd imagine he barely remembers that. And if he does, it's probably the vaguest of memories. I mean, I don't even remember that. I'm 24 and a half. I don't remember Tom Brady's first Super Bowl. That's how long this guy has been doing it. I mean, Brock Purdy, who he played against, the 49ers backup last weekend, was born months before he was drafted. Like, this is crazy. I think, what, Jamar Chase might have been born, like, right when he was drafted? Dax Hill, same thing. Like, those 2000 babies, man, I don't think there's anybody born in uh, 2001 that's in the league. And if they are, I'd imagine they're far few in between. This, like that, this is just, like, beyond our pay grade. I mean, if you want to go a step further, he's older than Zach Taylor by about five and a half, six years. He's older than Brian Callahan, Bengals offensive coordinator, by about eight years. I mean, when you have Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor praising him, not just in the name of, oh, he's a great player, but like Callahan says, it's a guy you look up to. It's a guy who's changed the game, you know. But here's here's why I even say all these grain deals, praises, and excitements. You and I might be like, oh, man, GOAT versus maybe future GOAT. To Joe Burrow, it is what it is. I'm Joe, he's Tom. Like, and obviously there's such a level of humility there that he admires Brady, but there's also so much confidence that, you know, he's not worried about how much better or worse am I than I to Tom Brady, how similar am I to Tom Brady. Joe Burrow is worried about his own game. Tom Brady is worried about his own game too, but he also appreciates it because, you know, before the Super Bowl last year, they were on a podcast together. I forget who else was with them. It might have been Jim Gray from Westwood One Sports, but they were on a podcast together, and they were praising each other. So there's a mutual respect and admiration, but Burrow says at the same time, I'm Joe. I'm confident in myself. I'm out here to win a game because, you know, they want to win their sixth straight. They have to win almost every game at this point to win the AFC North. Even as the Ravens are battling quarterback injuries, it doesn't matter because they still have a good run game with J.K. Dobbins. So there's a lot that Burrow knows is on the line. But I guess for you, when you look at Burrow versus Brady, the kind of where I want to start is what are some similarities that you see in Joe Burrow's game that you also see in Tom Brady's game today, if you kind of had to pick and choose? Well, I don't know if I'm the best one to answer that question. Um, you know, Ted Karras talked about it today. Uh, you know, Ted played in New England. Um, you know, he talked about, you know, his relationship with, with Tom Brady uh, he actually called Tom Brady a, a top five American of all time. Um, you know, he said that, and then I followed up and I said, you know, who who else is on that list? Um, and he said, well, you know, maybe Teddy Roosevelt. I'd, I'd have to think about it. And, and I thought he meant just sports. So I was kind of stunned to hear that. Um, so when asked that question, 
Um, Ted Karras, who thinks obviously, as I just said, very, very highly of Tom Brady, you know, he mentioned, you know, their competitive demeanor. Um, you know, I think that you can kind of see that with Burrow a little bit. Um, you just kind of go through Joe Burrow's past. Like he played in a state championship game in high school and he took his team farther than they had ever gone before. And they were like a snap away from winning that game over a, you know, Catholic school powerhouse. That was his senior year of high school. Then he goes to Ohio State. Then he goes to LSU, and he wins a national championship in his last year at LSU and goes down as, you know, one of the greatest – it goes down as one of the greatest college football teams ever. And then – I he agree. Leads the, he leads the Bengals to the Super – or yeah, he leads the Bengals to the Super Bowl uh, a year ago. Like, nothing really phases him, and I think that if, that, if that's where you're going to go with the similarities, um, I think that makes sense. Um, just in the way that, you know, they kind of carry themselves. I mean, it's obviously super, super early to like, you, you said, you know, goat versus maybe future goat. I, I don't know. I've just, I've been so black pilled by that word. I just hate it. Um, because like, it feels like, it, like it became a thing and then it was a bit, and then it feels like it became a thing again. Like, who's the goat? Who's this? Who's that? I don't know. Like, like, if you want to say Tom Brady's the best of all time, that's fine. Uh, for my, I mean, like, if you want to say generational, like, Tom Brady's the best quarterback of, you know, this past generation, however you want to phrase it, wherever you want to start. I think Mahomes is better than Burrow. Like, I, I, so if you're going to start anywhere, like, with, with that conversation, I think it, I think it has to start with Mahomes. Um, so, you know, to me, um, you know, I, I just kind of really think that um, – with Burrow and Brady, it's a demeanor thing, but it's really, really hard to see anybody ever doing what Tom Brady did again. So just the comparisons are going to be really, really hard. And, you know, we talked about this on our podcast uh, last week. It's kind of funny whenever you talk about these games, Mahomes versus Burrow, Mahomes versus Allen, Allen versus Burrow. Like they're not playing each other. They're not going to be on the field ever at the same time. So it's always a unique conversation whenever these things kind of happen. And I like what you said about the word GOAT because I'm honestly kind of over it. I just use that word because, like, of course, when you're having these talks, what do people use as an adjective or, I guess, as a pronoun? They say, oh, he's the GOAT. He is the GOAT. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think Tom Brady is the greatest to ever do it. I'm not saying he isn't. But I just feel like, yeah, the way the word is used, the way it's connotated, it's just kind of like, it's just I don't know. Jump to it. It's just that people jump to it with anything. Like, you know, people are so, so quick. Maybe this is like, this is maybe like, and this is like a larger topic. I don't know. Like, maybe <laughs> this is like a, like a philosophical thing. I just think so many people are like, so intent on making it the next blank, you know, and in basketball, it was like, is LeBron and is LeBron and Steph, you know, the next Jordan magic or the next Jordan bird or whatever. Like it, it just kind of feels like everybody tries to make it the next thing, you know, the next great thing. Like, I don't know. I feel like we can just, I feel like it can be its own thing. Like Brady Manning was its own like Brady Manning was its own unique rivalry. And I think that you can Brady and Burrow are not going to have a rivalry because assuming Tom Brady wants to not play football when he's 55 years old, like <laughs> there's not, you know, there's just not going to be that longevity there. So like, 
I don't know. I think that, you know, you can kind of ascribe a different rivalry and a different meaning to like, you know, if Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes keep playing each other once, twice, three times, you know, however long it is a year. Like if, if they keep playing, then I think maybe that can just be its own thing. I think that people just are so quick to ascribe GOAT to anyone or anything. Yeah, and it, yeah. Yeah, and it almost like because of that, like because people are so quick to just throw and label, like you kind of lose the essence and the glitter of the meeting. Like Brady truly epitomizes that word. So it's okay to use it with him. But I think when people try to say, oh, will Burrow be the GOAT? Will Mahomes be the GOAT? Mahomes has done a lot, but he's only played six seasons. Burrow's barely in his third season. And I'd say second because his rookie year wasn't even a full season. I think Burrow even said himself, like, he's a smart guy. It goes without saying he's very intelligent. He even said, like, we have a long ways to go before I'm ever in any conversations like that. Or, or it was some kind of response along those lines. So even he gets it. And, like, he doesn't care if he's the GOAT or if Brady's the GOAT. He says, I'm going to Tampa Bay. I want to get a win. And he said, you know what? Tom Brady's a great guy, but I don't want an autograph or a jersey swap. So he's not even concerned about that. I mean, he, he's not one who's been known to do that anyway. But while I'm with you on this topic, I want to ask you, do you think Brady hangs it up after this year? Um, well, I thought he was going to retire after the Patriots. Um, and I thought, I thought he was going to retire after last year, so we, we all thought. Letter, yeah, well, he did, technically. Um, yeah, I know, played us. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, I think it's it's – it's up in the air. It, it fools Aaron to try and guess when that guy. He's going to retire when he wants to retire. He is 45. He will be 46 next calendar year. I mean, very, 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 very few players have made it to the age of 50. Uh, just a few more have made it to about the age of 45, 46. But at that point, aside from a legend named George Blanda. You're basically talking about kickers and punters at that point. Because I know Adam Vinatieri was about 47. He had just turned 47 when he retired, which was actually not that long ago. I mean, heck, he started playing before I was even born. Because <laughs> he played in 96. I was born in 98. So, I mean, at that point, you really are like flirting with history if he hasn't already flirted with enough history. But I guess, you know, when it comes to those two and, you know, them playing, I mean, obviously, Brady's not really dealing with as many injuries as Burrow is when it comes to Boyd, Higgins, potentially Taylor, and, of course, Hurst. Um, I guess kind of regardless or respective to those injuries and what with, you know, what Brady has in front of him, who outduels who on Sunday, if you had to predict? Um. I, I I would have to say Burrow, just like assuming that you're gonna get some, you're gonna get some, um, you're, you're gonna get some help in the way of of guys being healthy. Um, you know the depending on, like you mentioned, uh, Tyler Boyd and T Higgins' status is going into that game. You might, you know, who knows? Like maybe, um, you know, maybe the the Bengals are kind of rolling in with Jamar, and then a couple of guys after that who typically don't have that role um you know mike evans and chris godwin are two really really good receivers they're they're not even 30 yet um uh, so you got those that's kind of crazy guys to, you got those kind of guys to rely on so you know to, i i would say burrow just because the bengals are rolling right now and and the the buccaneers have kind of been really inconsistent over these last couple of weeks but i mean it's 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 hard to say so when you're looking at the challenge and the advantage burrow has on the one hand 
you have him facing two of the best linebackers in the game who are Devin White and Levante David, who Zach Taylor in his own words described as second level, which is fitting because I think they've missed few to none snaps together on the field. The downside, though, is you have a very, very banged up second there because uh, Jamel Dean didn't practice Wednesday. He's one of their cornerbacks. Uh, Mike Edwards was limited at safety. So was Antoine Winfield. Uh, the silver lining to, though, to that, though, is Sean Murphy Bunting did practice after he missed uh, the game on Sunday. So you will probably have Sean Murphy Bunting back. But, yeah, you don't know about Winfield, Edwards. You sure definitely don't have a lot of hope in Dean because it seems like his injury is pretty bad. Vita Vea, uh, nose tackle. Didn't practice either. Seems like he's probably not going to play Sunday. So you have fewer reinforcements up front, um, aside from Akeem Hicks, who I think is still a dog in his position. But, you know, like you think about Burrow's interceptions, most of them, at least since the bye week, have been because of what? Tipped passes. I mean, if you're in a situation where, like, you get a tipped pass, you don't want that ball to be near Levante David and Devin White. So, is this kind of one of those games where, like, you really, really don't want the ball to get tipped because of those two guys playing up the middle? I mean, the tip balls are dangerous no matter who you're playing. Um, oh, for sure. Just because, you know, that's how, you know, Zach kind of mentioned this today. Like, when, when you're an offense that gets the ball out quickly, like, that's just kind of something you have to live with. It's not really something you can work around because if you're getting the ball out quick, quick, like, that's just, it's just a, like the tip passes are going to come with it. Because defensive linemen, you know, he mentioned it when he was in Miami and they were playing Denver. You know, he was talking about how there was a timer that they set up at practice and, you know, I, the buzzer would ring because the ball was gone. So, like, sometimes you're not even practicing to, to get after the quarterback. You're practicing to get your hands up. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, they, if Vea can't go, that is that is a big loss because he's a really, really good interior player. He's really, really powerful. Can do a lot in the in the run stuffing and in the passing uh, the pass rush. So, you know, to me, if you get if you get a guy like Vea out of the lineup, that that really kind of it, it just it creates more problems because when he's there, he's able to plug up so much on the line, and then you've got David and and Devin White. Um, you know, Levante David, almost 100 tackles. Devin White, almost 100 tackles. Crazy. Game 13. Like, those guys can move. So, you know, when you have those two guys playing in the middle and you have a guy up front who's just kind of taking all of the garbage out of the way, um, that's pretty significant. But now, if you don't have that guy, I, I think that that matters. And, you know, those guys might have to be asked to do a little bit more and your speed is kind of negated a little bit. Um, you know, they're both obviously very, very talented linebackers. They can move. They can both move a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's, um, you know, you, you can't really have any tip passes any, any week that you're playing. Um, but not having Vea, I think really matters. And it, and I think it really kind of opens up some things, um, up the middle of the, of the Tampa Bay defense. Yeah. I mean, I, I joke with people, Devin White, who played at LSU, which is obviously where Joe Burrow went, he got drafted the year before that mega super team won that title. And I'm like, you know, I told someone, Hey, he didn't get to be a part of that. But he joined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers early enough to win a Super Bowl. So, I mean, the dude's been in the league just as long or, I mean, almost as long as Joe Burrow's been in the league. And he's already got a Super Bowl ring. And he's playing at such an elite talent, not even in his fourth season, which, you know, I mean, what, he's 24. Like, that's crazy, yo. Like, that's just, man, dude is elite. I mean, the fact that, I mean, even Burrow, I think, praised him, too. I mean, who wouldn't praise a guy like Devin White and Levante David? I mean, that is awesome. And, you know, a lot of those players from that 
Super Bowl team are still there. All those safeties and uh, corners I mentioned, they were on that team. You know, Murphy Bunting and Edwards played a big role on that team uh, in 2020. And they were even, you know, fresher and younger at that point because they're still pretty young. So I wouldn't sleep yet. Like you said, I wouldn't overlook Tampa Bay's defense too much with those injuries. And I think those two guys alone are the dogs to make you uh, not want to do that. But when we come back on the Strictly Stripes podcast, we're going to revisit the run game for the Bengals. Is it working? How does it change? Why does it not change? Plus, we revisit our weekly MVP odds and see where Joe Burrow fits in the equation as you're listening to the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So as we saw on Sunday, uh, Andrew, I believe... Joe Mixon had about 10 more touches than Samaj P. Ryan, but both did pretty well. Mixon ran for near 100 yards. P. Ryan still averaged about over five yards a carry. Uh, had two drop passes, which I wouldn't completely put on him per se, but he had a few good catches as well. You know, I think that game, I understand one game is a small sample size because there hasn't been really much of P. Ryan and Mixon playing well together, at least as of late, because, you know, up until that Panthers game, we were saying, what's wrong with this run game? Why isn't Mixon going? Why isn't Pirine going? Or I guess, why is Pirine going better than Mixon relative to where Mixon should be? But I think now that Pirine had those snaps on his own, now that Mixon is back from injury, how confident are you if you're the Bengals that, hey, like you finally, after weeks and weeks of frustration and meetings with the O-line, how confident are you that Pirine and Mixon have their roles as a finesse back if you're uh, Mixon and a stiff arm back if you're Piran. How confident are you that those roles have really come together where they should be? Um, I think, I mean, you, you got to be able to run the ball. You know, you don't have to be able to be a team, you know, I'm trying to like the Ravens, you know, who, who pretty much exclusively run the ball or the 49ers who kind of really rely on that. Like you don't have to be that, but you have to run the ball well in spurts. Um, and you just kind of have to be able to, to let the defense know that you can do it. Um, because if you go into a game and, and you're not running the ball, you know, you're only getting two, three yards of carry, they're, they're not going to trust it. So, um, it, you know, I, I think Brian today was kind of illuminating on that, you know, Brian Callahan, that is. Um, yeah, after the Cleveland game, you were kind of looking at the snap counts. Okay, Joe Mixon had 10 more snaps, and he also had, I think it was six more touches. Um, or 10 more touches. I, I would have to look back at that, but if he had a, a significant amount um, more touches both on the ground and in the air than, than Samashe Piran did. But Brian kind of, he's, he mentioned that that doesn't have to be that way every week. You can kind of work through that game script dependent. It can go from game to game. So I think that they're gonna just try and keep both backs fresh. But again, like this, this team is not a running team. You know, this team is, you know, this team is one that if if they have to throw it 50 times because the run game's not working, like they're not going to be terrified of that. They know that they have a quarterback and a receiving core that can do that. So, you know, to me, I think that um, it's just, it's something that is nice to have, but like the offensive line has played really, really well over these last couple of weeks. They're playing all season. Um, You know, we talked all week going in about, you know, Miles Garrett and, you know, I thought Miles Garrett, you could see him make some plays. I mean, obviously his spin move is deadly and, you know, it's, it's a tough task for anyone. And Jonah Williams, you know, he did his best. Um, but, you know, I actually, they, they, Jonah and, and the rest of the line kind of handled him pretty decently. 
Um, so they're playing, the offensive line's playing well. And, and I think that, like I said, the running game is just a complement to the offense that they already have. And you don't necessarily need to rely on it, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see more, you know, more touches that turn into 50, 50 splits in terms of snap counts and touches as, as the, you know, the season kind of winds down here. I think overall the old line did great. Um, I watched some of the all 22 tape, which I should first be better at. I haven't done as good of a job of watching it, but I did for this Browns game. And I saw that Cordell Voson, he didn't miss any assignments. It was Taven Bryan, number 96, who, uh, it seemed like it kind of ran over him, but Burrow got the ball off. I think it was like a couple dump offs to Joe Mixon, but uh, overall, it really seemed like, uh, you know, other than that, I mean, you can't get them all, obviously, and that's why I think those PFF grades can be subjective. Uh, overall, it was great. It was great protection. It's why Burrow was only sacked once. It's why the, you know, the the rushing attack averaged almost seven yards a carry and why, you know, they had over 100 yards from scrimmage. So that's been pleasant to see. I think, you know, again, we'll see how that hap- holds up against the Tampa Bay. I don't think the issue would be getting past that D-line, but, you know, if you're Joe Mixon or Samadji Pirine, how much running room can you get past Levante David and Devin White? Because, you know, with Logan Wilson, he had, like, what, 17 tackles? And I think most of them were basically on Nick Chubb because when you got DJ Reader clogging up the holes up the middle, it allows him to do his job, and you can't overlook what Hendrickson and Hubbard did too. Uh, Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson. So, you know, I, I'd imagine it'd be somewhat similar for Tampa Bay. Although, like I said, they're a little banged up up front. So I'm interested to see how that plays out for uh, the running game. But I want to kind of wrap up like we do every Wednesday with MVP odds. So these are the most recently updated odds via the Caesar Sportsbook. This is the kicker. Guess what? Patrick Mahomes is not number one. Did you know that? Yep. Jalen Hurts. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Yep. Um, I I figured the more that Hertz was winning, the the better his are though I guess the worse technically if you're betting on him. Um but I figured that you know the the higher his odds would get. I figured he'd kind of move up the ranks there. Yeah, I uh you know, I think that makes sense because like if you look at the odds specifically, Hertz is minus 165, Mahomes is plus 200. And I mean, it's not that Mahomes hasn't been playing well. I mean, Mahomes had a Man, that little shuttle pass to Juju Smith-Schuster, which was a sports center top 10 highlight, great game. But at the same time, you're playing Denver. Like, it wasn't really that much of a, a game to begin with. Although, I will say it was a little closer than it should have been, but it wasn't really much closer than what I mentioned to begin with. So, you know, I think with Hurts, he's really just been a bona fide quarterback. That's the term I like to use when I wrote a column on the MVP ranking. Because I really describe him as a true bonafide quarterback and I think the odds makers are catching on to him being a bonafide quarterback with all that he's done across the board and again you got to look at it he's only lost one game and that was again that they really could have won against uh, a commander's team that just got oh so lucky in my opinion whereas Mahomes has lost three games one of them being to the guy who holds the number three spot Joe Burrow who is plus 700 not much of a difference there uh, Josh Allen is a very, and I mean very, distant fourth place, plus 1,800. I think unless he beats Burrow and just puts unreal numbers for the rest of the season, which I don't see with four games left, and the fact that he's got nagging elbow issues, I don't see that. So I think we can pretty much write him off at this point 
in my opinion at least. Then you've got two attack of Iloa at number five, and he did pretty badly. He's now at plus 5,000. I think after the way he played against the Chargers Sunday, that speaks for itself. I don't think there's really any or much of a debate there at all. So I think at this point, tell me if you disagree with this, it's really a three-way race. It's a yeah, three-way race with Hurts, Mahomes, and Burrow. I think it's Hurts, Mahomes, and Burrow with the caveat that Hurts and Mahomes are way out in front of Burrow. Um, yes. Because obviously the odds say that, but it's it's just going to be tough for Burrow to come back from because you're talking about a quarterback who's leading a 12-1 and team who – so basically, at the end of the year, you might have a situation where Burrow has to beat the quarterback who is, you know, the best team in the league, uh, the quarterback of the best team in the league, I should say. And Patrick Mahomes is also on pace to break the single season passing record. I know that there's an extra game in there, but he would be like right on Manning's mark from a few years ago. Um, I, oh my God, I said a few years ago. I think it was actually 2013. So nine years ago, almost a decade ago. Time um, flies, man. That's crazy. So, you know, I, it's it's a tough road for Burrow at this point because Mahomes is so proficient and he's he's either he's going to have to be that guy and then he's going to have to top a guy who, you know, might lead a team that finishes like, I don't know, 15 and two. That is so really crazy. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of like, you know what you just said? I immediately started thinking of Lamar Jackson in his MVP year because like so many dueling similarities. Like it was his second true year as a starter. Because I mean, he he, he kind of took over in 2018. So that was like, I, I'd say his second true year. This is Hertz's first full year as a starter, Lamar's. In first full year, yeah. So for Hertz, it's his second full year. But it's close enough. It's close enough where it's like first and a half, second full year as a starter. Kind of like it was for Lamar. Lamar took his team to 14-2, and two, and obviously they choked in the playoffs. I know you're probably still bitter about that. If I was a Ravens fan, I would be too. But, I mean, like you said, it, they cut it off at the regular season end point, so it didn't matter at that point. But, I mean, yeah, 14-2 and two team with an experience that is strikingly similar and parallel to Hurts. And I understand the NFC is a crap show right now and nothing is guaranteed in, in the playoffs. I mean, for all we know, like, I'm not even kidding, Andrew. The Bucks could get in as like a 9-8 and eight four seed because the NFC South is just so garbage right now. And the Bucks could even make it to like, for all I know, the NFC Championship. Like, I'm not even kidding. I don't think it's going to happen, but like, who knows, right? I mean, what do we know? We don't have a crystal ball in our hands. So, who knows? I think Jalen... Whether he takes them to the Super Bowl or they lose in the first round like the Ravens did, which I don't think will happen. But either way, man, you you got a – I keep saying it – bonafide quarterback. To kind of tie it up, what would it take for Burrow to swap places with Mahomes? Like what would have to happen Mahomes, for, Mahomes for Burrow? Terrible down the, the, Mahomes is terrible down the stretch. I don't, I don't know if he can pass him solely through – like Mahomes, like the the Chiefs and Mahomes would have to lose some games, and they, you know, Mahomes would have to not play well, and Burrow would have to go three and one, four and out on the stretch. Hmm. Interesting. So you're saying it's it's so tough that he has to play the best ball he's playing, and Mahomes has to play not the worst ball, but yeah, pretty Mahomes, bad. Ball. Mahomes has to fall, and then that's what I'm saying about it's so tough to bet Burrow right now, or to think Burrow has a you know like a really decent shot because. Let's say that 
you know, the Eagles stumbled on the stretch and they finished one and three, like he's still got to pass Mahomes or vice versa. If the, if the Chiefs kind of fall on their butt, he's got to, he's got to beat Hurts. So it, it's just really tough right now. And I think the only way that you can do it is Burrow's got to play well, but then you need, you know, you need some other, um, uh, Burrow's got to play well, but then you need, you know, some help kind of around you. Think of it like a, you know, help getting into the playoffs. You need another team to lose. Well, it's kind of the same thing with MVP. I don't know, though. Like, you know how, you know, we, we talk about, like, in the playoffs, you have head-to-head matchups that, like, determine who gets this seed or that seed. So, like, you know, the Ravens have the three seed, Bengals have the five because, well, the Bengals lost to the Ravens. What if they both play, like, the same exact way they've been playing? Like, they both play eerily similar. At that point, can't you also argue that? And I'm not saying this is to win MVP. This is to give Burrow the number two spot over the number three spot. Couldn't you also argue, oh, well, he beat Mahomes in that head-to-head. So by default, I don't know. I don't know. One game and a 17-game sample size truly should carry, you know, more weight than another. What if... The five interception game never. I know could have, should have, would have, but what if the five interception game? Or no, I'm sorry, four interception, five turnover game in week one never happened for Burrow. Are we having a different conversation? Maybe, um, but it did happen. Like you know, it's one of those things where yeah, like you could kind of, you could point to a bet. You know, what happens if he didn't throw for 400 yards against the Panthers and his yards don't look better? You know, I, I think you can kind of you can kind of do that revisionist history with anybody. That's fair. I just wonder, though, like in an alternate universe, if Burrow doesn't throw those picks and everything else stays the same from that game to where we are in this moment in time, does it change? I don't know. But I could do that with, like you said, just about anybody. I could do it with uh, – actually, this is crazy, by the way. I could do it with not even just like quarterbacks. You know who some odds makers have at number five instead of Tua? You wouldn't even believe what I'm about to say. It's not a quarterback, by the way. Um, he's not going to win MVP, Justin but it's just Jefferson. worth noting. Just yeah, Justin Jefferson. I think it's actually DraftKings that has him at number five because I read the Caesar odds, which has Tagovailoa at number five. But like, I mean, man, I, I know that's a whole different debate. I'm not even going to get into. But the fact that Justin Jefferson is an MVP conversation, I can tell you right now, it's not going to work out for him this year, but next year, and I. I don't know that a wide receiver's ever won the award and how long it's been since the wide receivers won it. I don't know, man. Like, he's got that dog in him. I'm going to say up front, he's got that dog in him. So if he's not going to win a future MVP, he will be in MVP conversations. I could tell you that. And I'm sure even Jamar Chase would agree with that because that's, you know, his boy from LSU. So the NFL is just so wacky and wonderful, and it's what makes this world so great. Am I right? Something like that. <laughs> something along those lines. Well, something along those lines is a fair way to wrap that up and to put that with a bow on top. Join us tomorrow. Mike Nizek will be back with us. And we will have a special guest. I'm not going to say who it is, which is why you should find out and tune in tomorrow for that special guest who, I'll tell you this, kind of a spoiler, knows a thing or two about Tom Brady. But once again, for myself and Andrew Gillis, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night.